Well, good morning and happy July 4th. Couple days early, but it'll be past next time we see each other. So happy July 4th, Colonial Heights. Happy July 4th, Midlothian. Good to see all of you this morning. Well, I tell you what, I think probably in the last year, many of us, uh, not only in this room, but probably throughout the United States, we've learned a lot more, haven't we, about duck calls and Cy and Willie and Jace and Louisiana, then we, y'all know what I'm talking about already. What, what are we talking about? Duck, Duck Dynasty. Yeah. How many of y'all have seen an episode of Duck Dynasty? Oh, okay. Quite a few. How about out there in Midlothian? Yeah. Yeah. Good proportion out there too. I can see you. Yeah. I, we, boy, we got caught up in that at the Han household this year. As a matter of fact, we not only watched season four, but we went back and watched the first three seasons, and I'm pretty sure I can say we've seen every episode at least five times. We really kind of duck dynastied out this year. Man, that's a, this is an incredible phenomena that is happening, uh, kind of unique in our American culture, following these folks. You know what I mean? Folks, if you think about it, here we are in America just, just riveted to these lives, riveted to these lifestyles that if, if you think about it, most of us wouldn't actually choose to live where they live or dress like they dress or or do what they we wouldn't choose that and yet we love them as a matter of fact these very characters we love let's be honest if you didn't know them most of you if you saw them coming down the street you'd cross the road to avoid them you'd you'd be getting out of their way you know I've I've got a theory about why we love the Robertsons pretty pretty simple idea here because they're happy we, we really believe they're happy and, and we're drawn to that. I, I mean, the patriarch, the, the sage, Phil, he's given us what? Happy, happy. And he, he's given us that line. Now, you could look at what's going on in their lives right now and say, well, gosh, who wouldn't be happy with all that wealth, with all that, with all that success? But really, I mean, if you've been watching them, you think that wealth, that success is the source of their happiness? You know what? I watch them. I think these folks would be doing the exact same thing, enjoying the exact same things, whether they had the wealth and success or not. They, They are what they are. And we're drawn to that happiness. We want to be happy. And we're drawn to people that we believe are happy. And we will try to emulate. We'll, we'll go after. I mean, is, is it their things that's making them happy? Is it their, their values? Is it their job? Is it, is it something they do? And we'll emulate that because we want to be happy. I mean, hey, if it's working for them, maybe, maybe it'll work for me. Maybe, maybe it'll work for us. And, and, and so we try these different things out because we want to be happy. Hey, I've got news for you. God wants you to be happy also. God wants you to be happy. You know what, folks? I can take you to Scripture, and I can develop a theology of suffering. Man, we can talk about why there is suffering. We can talk about how God uses suffering, and God does use, God does allow. God does bring suffering into our lives for purposes of what He's doing in our life. But folks, saying that God uses suffering as a tool does not mean that when you wake up in the morning, God's looking at you thinking, ooh, how can I just, how can I get them today? Boy, how can I zap them? How can I make them miserable? Folks, God's not looking to make you miserable. God wants you to know happiness. And no, I'm not going to make this silly distinction between happy and joy and happy is just an emotion. No, I, I think God wants you to be happy. You, you know, we started this series last week on the Psalms. And we've talked about, hey, this is the biggest book in the Bible Maybe, probably is the most read portion of Scripture 
A lot, of, a lot of Jewish theology, a lot of Jewish worship comes up out of the Psalms, Christian theology, and, and, and life kind of intersect in the Psalms. We said last week, man, it's in the Psalms where real people deal with real issues and work it out with a real God. Man, this is a, this is a special book. Of course, I think if you study them, they're all special <laughs> But this is a special book in the Bible. You know what the first word of this big book is? First word, happy. Happy. Let's look at it this morning. Would you turn with me to Psalm 1? We're looking at the, at the first psalm today, Psalm 1. Now, like I said, we began this series last week. We're going to go to the, the second, third week in September. We're kind of working still on some calendaring things. But it's going to be somewhere in the middle of September. September, you can probably do the math and figure, well, if you're only doing one today, you're getting behind and covering 150 by, by, by the middle of September. Well, we're obviously not covering all 150. We're just going to cover one a week and get a, get a working knowledge, get a working feel for what we have in this. And, and hopefully it encourages all of us to dive in there a little deeper on our on our own and, and find out what God has for us in the Psalms. Now, today we're looking at a wisdom psalm. You remember last week we talked about there were seven kinds of psalms. Y'all remember that? There was the, the praise psalm and the lament psalm and the psalm of confidence. Well, this is a wisdom psalm. And a wisdom psalm is teaching us how to live. So the very right out of the gate, God comes in with the first of 150 chapters and He says, let's talk about how to live. Let's look and see what He says. Look with me here at Psalm 1. Blessed is the man... Who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away." Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Now, I don't know how many different Bible translations would be represented here in the room or there in the theater right now. I mean, I'm sure we've got an NIV in here and an NASB and probably some Holman Christian Standard or some English Standard. We've got these various translations and at different times, these translations will use different words. But in Psalm 1, no matter which translation you're using, they're using one of two words for that first word. Blessed or happy. Now, is one better than the other? Well, no, actually, they both work pretty well. If you're interpreting that Hebrew word literally, then the word you're going to want to use is blessed. That is the literal translation of that word. But when you're doing translations, what you want to do is you want to take that word in another language and then sync it up with the word that best communicates in our language. Now, the word blessed in the Hebrew, just like our English words, you know, you open up Webster's and it usually has a little number one and a definition. Number two and a definition. Words will have a couple of different definitions. Well, one of the definitions of that word blessed in the context here of what God is communicating, the word that would work best is happy. So they're both completely accurate words and God is starting this psalm off with the word happy. As a matter of fact, you look at the sermon title today, you probably knew I was kind of going a duck dynasty route, didn't you? 
You, you thought that's what I was doing. You know what? Actually, no. I, I wasn't thinking about Phil or, or Duck Dynasty when I put that title, Happy, Happy. I was thinking about the word right here because this word blessed is in the plural. And, and the most literal way to translate that first phrase would be happiness many times over or happy, happy. Folks, the, the, the first psalm answers the question, where's happiness found? I mean, God knows we're all looking for it. He knows this is front and center in our mind. So he comes to speak to us. And the first thing out of the gate, the first word out of the gate in psalms is, hey, let's talk about happiness. And then kind of strange, he starts off with a negative. I mean, how often are you thinking about happiness and you hear the word no? Why, why, why is he going kind of a negative route? And yet that's what he does, doesn't he? He says, you know, the, the happy, happy man is marked by the places he does not go, by the things he does not do, by the people, and that's the focus, by the people he does not keep company with. So our first directive in finding happiness is a negative. And why, why do you start that way? You know, I was in, uh, I was in Nicaragua uh, back in May. Uh, my family's kind of all over the map these days. I got my boys should be landing in Zambia in a few moments. Karen's probably landed already in Botswana. So we're, we're covering the map in the Han household. But a couple of months ago, I was, I was in, in Nicaragua with our team there. And one of the days I was running around doing errands with, uh, with Wallace, the, the guy who runs the mission there, and uh, Wes, and, and I think a translator. And we went by this, this pastor's house. I call it a house. It was a, it was a tin shack is what it was. And, and we were dropping off supplies for him, for his family, uh, and, and some supplies for the church there. And, and one of the things in the supplies was a, a whole bunch of, and, and you do a lot of this ministry in Nicaragua, parasito pills. They're, they're, they're pills for killing parasites. And, and so we're delivering this to him. And, and while they're giving instruction, okay, here's how you take it. You give these to your family. Share these with your, your congregation. And, and they're standing there and they're giving this instruction. And then somebody interprets and they're doing this. And while they're doing that, I, I look down. We're kind of right there by the door of his house. And a cute little puppy. Oh, we love puppies, don't we? Little puppy lives there with him, sleeps with him, eats with him. And we love a little, everybody loves a little puppy with a belly full of worms. You know, and, and I'm thinking, man, we're doing a good thing in giving these parasito pills. He'll do a good thing in taking them. He'll do a good thing in sharing them. But the source of the problem isn't going anywhere. Well, I mean, whatever good you do, it's going to be tempered, if not completely lost, by the fact you leave the source of the problem there. Do you see where I'm going? God says, hey, you, you want to be happy? Okay, let's talk about that. The first thing we got to do is remove the source of your unhappiness. We, we've got to remove the source of what is stealing life. And, and who of us is not going to say, well, man, yeah, I'll do that. Man, of course, I don't, I don't want to keep the source of a problem, the, the source of what's stealing life and happiness from me. I don't want to leave that right here in my home. And yet we do. Maybe because we don't even really recognize or acknowledge what the source of the problem is. Boy, enter the slow creep of moral compromise. We walk, we stand, we sit. We all do it. We've all done it. We're all doing it right now. We walk by a, 
an idea, a value, a lifestyle, a question, an activity. We walk by it. We walk, hey, it kind of glitters. draws our attention. And, and when we're walking by, we'll, we'll stop and look for a moment. Kind of take it in. Huh. And, and maybe we just blow right on by that day. I mean, I'm in a hurry. I got somewhere to go. But the next day, I kind of walk by that idea again. I walk by that person. I walk by that, that place. I walk by that lifestyle, that situation. Kind of drawing my attention, I'll be honest with you. It's kind of, kind of pulling me in a little bit. And one day, I do a little bit more than walk by. I, I stop and I stand. Now, see, when I stand, now I've got a chance to really, okay, I'm going to understand this. I'm going to engage with this. I'm going to get a, a working knowledge of this. I'm going to get a comfort level with this. And then we go from standing to Sitting. Well, when you're sitting in something, you're a part of it, aren't you? Now you're one with that. I mean, think about if you were watching me and you see me walking through, oh, there's Pastor, walking through the mall. And I'm walking through the food court and there's a group of people sitting there eating. If I walk by and I, you know, I do my head like this. Now you think about it, you don't know, we must be, he must be nodding at another church member. Or maybe, you know, you know, you're walking somewhere and you lock eyes with a stranger. You, I mean, what do you do? You, hey, <laughs> you know, most of us are polite. Most of us. You know, so if we see somebody, we'll nod. So, I mean, if you watch me and I walk by and I nod at this group of people as I'm walking, you don't really know. Maybe he knows them. Maybe he doesn't. He's just being polite. He's saying hello. You don't really know. But do you know there was some kind of little connection that just happened there, right? But now, if you saw me walk over to the table, stop and stand there, and, 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 I, and I'm, I'm engaging in conversation. You think, oh gosh, the pastor must know them. Wonder, wonder what they're talking about. Or, or maybe he's just saying, where'd you, where'd you get that dessert? Which, which store does that? You know, you don't really know what the level of the relationship is. You know that now I'm engaged with them. I mean, I'm standing there talking with them. But now if I'm sitting with them, you assume I'm with friends, right? You, you assume I'm with people I know. People that I'm in, engaged with. Now, just remove the word people and put idea, put lifestyle, put, put decisions, put actions. We walk, we stand, we sit. You know, we've all been in places, some of us are there right now, where we never really imagined that this is the question we'd be sitting in. This is the lifestyle we'd be sitting in. This is the activity we'd be sitting in. You know, right now we kind of see and recognize, well, it's probably not where God wants me. I, I know this is not the path that, that God would have. And you know what? A lot of times, and this is what Psalm 1 is pointing out, a lot of times we didn't make this, boy, I'm making this big decision and I'm, I'm taking a sharp turn over to become this, to, to do this. We didn't, we didn't make a big decision. We didn't take a sharp turn. It was just kind of a... Kind of a real gradual, slow thing. As a matter of fact, in this process where you're actually walking away from God, you can take steps that are, and I use this word kind of loosely, innocent. They're, they're in, I mean, no big wrong thing was being decided or being done right there. Just a, a little step, just a, a gradual step. As a matter of fact, sometimes somebody will say, hey, is that the little step you want to be taking? And we'll use the Bible to defend it. Oh, the Bible doesn't say that's wrong. Oh, no, they're right, right here. They, they do that right there. We'll, we'll actually use the, the Bible to defend. And we don't know we're doing it, but we'll use the Bible to defend our path away from the Lord. Because it's just kind of incremental, kind of slow. It just kind of evolves and happens. And then, and then all of a sudden, here we are. We're maybe in a place we didn't really imagine being. 
Now, there's a lot of things that are going to influence you and I down this path, this path of the world, this path away from God. TV, movies, magazines, conversations at work. You may not even be a part of the conversation. You know, your desk is just right there next to the, the coffee bar, and you can hear them talking about it over there. I mean, folks, we don't have control over all the things that influence the way we think, the way we act, our values, our, our priorities. We don't have control over all. we got control over a lot of it, but not all of it. And all these things influence. But what our passage directs us to today is the biggest influencer of our life, and that's people. People have a massive influence on who you are, where you are, and what you're doing. And most of us deny that. Most of us deny that our lives are being defined, are being directed, are being, are being built by the people around us. Sometimes we even get a little defensive about it. You know, oh, that, 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 no, I'm, I'm captain of my own ship. I do my, nobody's influencing me. You're wrong. You've done very little in life, period, that was not influenced by the people you surrounded yourself with. And so we really need to be asking ourselves, as I look at the people around me, close acquaintances, best friends, family, hey, are they on God's path or are they on the world's path? Make it a simple question. Don't make it complex. It's kind of a yes-no type deal. If, if the first words out of your mouth are, yeah, but... No, it's not a yeah, but question. Yeah, yeah, but they're, they're, they're my friends. Yeah, but they're, they're nice. Or here's the best one. Yeah, but they go to church. Wonderful. That wasn't the question. Are they on God's path or are they on the world's path? And folks, when we get done playing the games with ourselves that 100% of us play, when we get done playing the games with ourselves and defending the choices and defending the people, folks, you can look at somebody. You know which path they're on. You, you know if Christ is the affection, the, the passion of their life. You know if they're depending on Him, looking to Him. He's guiding their values. He's guiding... Well, we know. I'm not talking about whether they're a good person or not. You know they're on God's path. They're on the world's path. Now, I say we know, we, we, re we resist knowing. We really are trying to, where's the third path? As a matter of fact, as I look at this passage, gosh, these are harsh terms for these people that influence us. Wicked, sinners, scoffers. I don't have any friends that are wicked, sinners, scoffers. Gosh, those are, those are such harsh terms. You know, folks, for this passage, really, the definition of a wicked, sinner, scoffer is just somebody on the world's path. Knowingly or unknowingly, they've rejected God's path. Knowingly or unknowingly, they're influencing others towards the world's path. They're, they're living a path. They might be sweet. They might be nice. You might enjoy tea with them every week. They're living in opposition to God. And, and we don't want to say, well, I don't want to put them in the category. That, well, it's actually not yours to put them anywhere. God has said, hey, that's a wicked sinner scoffer. Now, I want to be clear about this because I think people also do the wrong thing with this. Folks, nowhere in this passage is it telling you and me to now hate, judge, attack the wicked sinner scoffer. Matter of fact, you and I can go to other passages, can't we? And see that we're actually to love the wicked sinner scoffer. We actually are to engage them in relationship for the purpose of the gospel. For the, for the purpose of influencing them on God's path. 
And you say, wait a minute, Pastor, you're, you're just absolutely talking out both sides of your mouth. I mean, I can see where you're going with this passage. Well, we gotta, we got to get rid of those influences. And now you're saying, boy, you've got to engage those people and relate with them. Hey, folks, what this passage is reminding us is that we are incredibly influenceable. And you, you really need to stop and be careful and look, am I influencing or am I being influenced? If you're not ever thinking about it, I guarantee you 100% of the time you're being influenced. That this is not something that you, you, you just wake up and it just ha- you you got to choose this. you got to purpose this. And even when we're influencing, we're being influenced. Folks, everyone in your life is on God's path or the world's path and influencing the same in you. Hey man, this has a profound impact on your happiness. That's what the scripture's saying right here. Did, did you hear what I just said? Your happiness. I'm not talking about whether you're a good person or a bad person. I'm not talking about if you're going to hell. Oh, you've got all these horrible, rotten people in your life. You're going to hell. That's not what we're talking about. You want to be happy? You really need to get in tune with who's around you and the influence they are having on your life. Because the man marked by happiness is instead influenced by the Word of God. His life is built in the Word of God. His affection is for the Word of God. He delights in it. He's looking to the Bible to build his life. He's looking to the, to the Bible for direction in life. He meditates on it. I like that word meditate there. And what's interesting about this word meditate is it is interpreted, it's understood about the exact opposite of the way we interpret that word today. Because when you hear the word meditate, what do you think? Don't you almost think of going, hmm. I mean, we hear the word meditate and we think of kind of being in a trance. We think of maybe finding our happy spot. You know, meditate almost has this idea of disengaging from reality. You know, so that we can go and find that happy spot. Folks, that's the exact opposite of what this word means. As a matter of fact, I would warn you because you won't find a single word, a single passage in Scripture that encourages you to disengage your mind from reality. Nowhere will God give that as a formula for peace, for comfort, for happiness, for wisdom. No, God wants a fully engaged mind. That's what meditate means in this passage Man, we're fully engaged. We're reading, we're studying, we're memorizing. And when we get done, we start all over. Man, we, when we read, we've, we've got a pencil and we've got a paper and we're, we're taking notes. Man, what is this passage saying about God? Man, what is this passage saying about, about me? How do I live this out? Hey, is there something in this passage that I need to be praying about? Is, is there something in this passage that, that I need to share with somebody else? And when I get done with all that, I check myself because my heart's deceitful. I say, hey man, do I really have an accurate understanding of this? That, this is meditation, folks. This is what it means. And it is a joy. It is a delight to do this, even though it's work. Now let me make a, let me make a comment about that last statement. That, that this is, it's a delight that it's so satisfying and rich to, to study in this way. I would say that, that Bible study, is, it's, it's a little bit of an acquired taste. You know, I, I remember the, the, the first time I had a cup of coffee. I, I remember like it was yesterday. I was like, I don't know, I don't remember how old I was, probably 10 or 11 years old. 
And I was with my dad. He was doing, we were out of town. We were on a job he was doing and, and he brought me along with him. I'm sure he loved that. And, uh, you know, we're out there. And so we're having breakfast. I said, hey, can I, can I have a cup of coffee? So, you know, of course, mom's not around. Gosh, you moms have no idea what dads let the kids do when mom's not around. Anyway, so he says, he says yeah, go ahead, have a cup of coffee. So he puts that, that cup of coffee, and I, I take a sip of that black coffee. Oh, my gosh, it was horrible. It was bitter. And so my dad says, well, here, a lot of people like it this way, and he adds sugar to it. Man, I still to this day don't know how you add sugar to it. It just makes it even worse. And so I, I don't, 10, 11 years old, I didn't have another cup. I didn't finish that cup of coffee. Probably eight, nine, 10 years later, I'm in college. And you know, man, all-nighters, got to get that project, got to get ready for final. <laughs> you know, I can't keep away. So now I see I've got some, motiv- I don't like it, but I got some motivation. So I start down in that coffee. And what happens? I acquire. When you acquire, that means you didn't have it before, but, but for whatever reason, you kept going at it there and you acquired a taste for coffee. Now, I can't imagine a day without it. I mean, I got to have two or three cups every morning. Man, I love my coffee. Now, I mean, you see where I'm going with this illustration. I don't know that I want to say that your, your first time to open God's Word and read it is bitter. That you're going to hate it. I, I, that, that would be pushing the illustration too far. But I think this is what I am saying. You know what? The more you read it, the more you study it, the more you understand it, the more appealing it becomes, the more encouraging it becomes, the more satisfying it becomes. And one day you end up like King David. Man, I get in this, it's like honey on my tongue. Man, it's just incredible. And likewise, the less you read it, the less time you spend in it, yeah, it's probably a little bit more unappealing. So the question is, well, how do you get to that place that's from unappealing to appealing? From what to satisfying and sweet? How do you make that transition? Well, you look at verse 3 there, folks. That's our goal, isn't it? Isn't that what we all want to be? Man, I want to be a, a tree that, that it is planted by streams of living water. I want to I be that life that is strong and, and planted right there next to a source of life. Okay, so that's my motivation. How do we get there? We build our lives in the Word of God. And what we see in this passage from verses 3 to 6 is that a, is that a life built in the Word of God is a life that is, is prominent, it is permanent, it is productive, it's perpetuating, and it is prosperous. And I am proud of that. Man, I just wish I'd come up with it. Yeah, I, I should quote somebody here, but I forgot who said that. I just know it wasn't me. But that's pretty cool, isn't it? Now, what are we saying with these words? The, the happy man's life is prominent. A tree is prominent, isn't it? It comes up out of the ground. The ground it stands. So you notice a tree. You know, I didn't see that tree. Well, yeah, I guess you can actually. But you see it. Folks, a life built in the Word of God is a life that stands tall and strong. It's a life that is noticed. Now, in our world, that's not always good. But it is a life that is noticed. It's a life that's permanent. Man, what does it say there? It's planted by the streams. Those roots grow, go down. You know, we refer to roots as permanency, don't we? Man, we've got a lot of military here. A lot of military that passed through. You've lived a life moving every three years, going somewhere for six months. And you start nearing retirement. You hear this phrase all the time. You know what? We're ready to plant some. Man, I want to put some roots down. What does that mean? I don't want to be transient. I don't want to be moving. I want to become permanent. 
And there, you know what? When you build your life in the Word of God, you start building a life that's permanent, a, a life that's strong, a life that's not going to be blown away. And here in this case, that permanency, those roots go down and grow to a stronger source of life. You're, you're strengthening the permanency because those roots go down into that riverbed and just drink off that nutrients, drink off that, that constant source of water. So we build a permanent life. We build a productive life, obviously tapped into all that strength. Our life produces fruit. And you know what? There's not a lot of fun. There's not a lot of happiness in just existing, is there? There's not a lot of happiness in just surviving. But that's not the life God has for us. God wants your life to, 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 to happen in such a way that you have a full, rich, meaningful life that, that others have because of you. you. You not only enjoy the fruit, you produce it in others. God wants us to have a productive, meaningful life, a perpetuating life. It goes on and on. You know, folks, you see that phrase there, the, our, the, the leaf does not wither? You know, unbelievers, as a matter of fact, you remember I said last week, we're going to look at Psalm 73. We're going to look at Psalm 73 in September, and Psalm 73 deals with something kind of frustrating. Because we might go through times in life and say, boy, I don't feel prominent, I don't feel permanent, I don't feel productive. And I look around at unbelievers, they look like they're all of this. Hey, can unbelievers, can people on the world's path be happy? Yes, they can. But the leaf always withers. The, the, the road is not leading to happiness. The leaf will wither. It will fall. It is for a season. Well, God's saying, hey, you build your life in the Word, and what's going to happen in your life is not going to be something for a season. It'll build and it'll grow throughout this life, and ultimately it lands in eternity, and, and our life goes on eternally forever and ever in the happiness and in the good. It's a perpetuating life, and it's a prosperous life. There, there's an abundance about this life. This is what God has for us, folks. Now, the way of the world, the world's path is kind of counterbalanced for us there. I mean, their, their life's not planted. It doesn't go down into that stream bed. Their life is like chaff. And what does it say there? It says they're driven. Not planted, not permanent. They're driven by the wind. Chaff is, you know, after, and I'm not a farmer, uh, after you harvest the, the wheat and, and you open up that husk and you pull the grain out. Well, once the grain is out, what is left is, is chaff. And it's completely and utterly garbage. It's worthless. Man hasn't come up with anything to do with this piece of it. And it's real light. Most of the time it just blows away. The wind just carries it. You don't even know where it goes. It's it's just gone. That's what's happening to everybody's life on the world's path. Ultimately, it will come. Harsh words. Ultimately, it comes to garbage. Ultimately, it comes to complete meaningless. It's blown away. You don't even know where it ends up. It's just gone. And that's the exact opposite of that tree planted by streams of water. And I won't go into much more definition. I need to wrap up here. But it's driven and it ends up being doomed and it ends up being damned. Hey, this, this pursuit of happiness, it's, it's the real deal, folks. There's real consequences in the influences we allow into our lives. There's real consequences with the path we choose to pursuing this happiness. So we really need to be asking ourselves on purpose. And not once. Not, not once a year. Not, not, not on December 31st or January. I mean, we need to be looking into our lives on a very regular basis saying, Hey... Is this person, is this group, when I'm there around them, are they influencing me to look to the Bible and look like the Bible? Or are they influencing me to look to the world and look like the world? Now, 
It's almost a whole other sermon, but we probably should ask what impact we're having on others, right? What am I influencing people to do? But right now for today, we're just thinking about it this direction. Hey, what influence are they having? Because folks, your happiness is totally defined by this. You and I have to be very careful. We have to be very purposeful in what's going on around us, the influences that we're allowing, how we control the uncontrollable. And are we allowing the Word of God to be the biggest influence in our lives? Folks, honestly, if we look around at what's happening in America today, and it's real easy for us sitting in church and to blame it all on the wicked sinner scoffer out there and what they're doing. Folks, I got 200 years of history where a lot of people held a Bible and called themselves a believer. But I think when it's all said and done, there was a lot of people that carried a title, but there wasn't a lot of influence. So I'm saying if you don't remove the source of the problem, you can go to church, be a nice person, be a good person, obey a lot of the rules, but you keep the source of the problem, you keep the source of the influence there. And you're doing that without knowledge. You're not being careful, you're not being purposeful, it's just happening. Guess what, folks? At the end of the day, you and I can come to church every single Sunday and end up looking a whole lot more like the world than we do like this book. You want to be happy? And the happy, happy man is marked by a life that is built in this book. Let's pray. Lord, I would pray for each of us that we'd acquire the taste. Lord, I pray that's, that's why we understand. That's why we, that's why we promote small groups so much. Another activity to, to take us to God's Word. To, to, to build relationships with people that, that together, hey, I've got friends, I've got things I do where together we go to God's Word. Together we seek to let that influence us. Lord, I pray for the people in this room that we get involved in life groups. They're at the theater. They get involved in small groups for building these influences and influences that lead us to your word. Father, would you give us insight and wisdom this week? I pray we, we very carefully, we very purposely move into our workplace, move into our neighborhood, the pool, even if we're out on vacation. And may we just start listening to what's going on around us. What are they saying? What are they promoting? How's this influencing my life? I've got this view. Where did it come from? I've got this lifestyle, this idea. Where did that come from? Did the world give me that? Did the Bible give me that? God, give us insight to our own lives and, and guard us from that deceitful, defensive heart. Lord, we want to be happy. And I thank you for the Bible that lays out a path that shows me where that's found and how that life is built. Boy, and I pray my life, our lives, would be in a witness and an example of that to our families, to our friends, and to this world. A world that is building a life that is going to be blown away, driven away like chaff. Boy, Lord, we love some of those out there in that world that are going to get blown away. Oh, may we be clear about how, what our lives show and the influence that we have and that we give. 
In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.